0: We start with the great Medicare debate right here in British Columbia and across the country. Dr. Brian Day standing by from the Canby Surgery Center. Of course, last week, you likely heard, suffered a setback in court, his constitutional challenge of Medicare laws. We've got both sides of it here for you. Dr. Brian Day, very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Dr. Day, thank you for coming on today.
1: You're welcome, Mike.
0: Okay, also on the line is Dr. Bernard Ho. Dr. Ho is with Canadian Doctors for Medicare, uh, the main medical group in Canada opposed to privatization in healthcare. Dr. Ho, thank you for coming on. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. All right, gentlemen, thank you to both of you. Dr. Day, let me start with you first. Let's talk about your setback in court. Can you briefly outline what you were trying to achieve here?
1: Well, what we're trying to achieve is that for patients Waiting on waitlists, um, who wait beyond the maximum time that the government says they should wait before which they are um, going to be at risk of significant harm. We we say those patients who've been promised healthcare by the public system should have the right to take matters into their own hand, and um, and basically we there should be private insurance. That covers those people who are waiting beyond the time that the government has promised they should be treated in, and um, of course we're disappointed that we lost at this level, um, but we're not we're not down and out because in a similar case uh, 17 years ago in Quebec, the, both both the, the Quebec courts, including the appeal court, uh, did a similar um, dismissal. So we are, um, we think the Supreme Court of Canada will not um, will not grant, um, will not rule that people living outside of Quebec should not have the same rights as those living in Quebec.
0: Okay, let me go to Dr. Bernard Ho, Canadian Doctors for Medicare. Dr. Ho, what do you say to that? Like, why shouldn't British Columbians or Canadians have the right to spend their own money on their own health care, especially if they're sick and waiting on a wait list?
2: Uh,
0: well, I, I want to
3: clarify that claim, actually, uh, because... British Columbians and Canadians actually do have the right to private pay. There's no sort of formal ban on private pay. But what Dr. Day is actually wanting to do is to build both MSP and the patients and private insurers at the same time. But there's nothing stopping Dr. Day from unenrolling from MSP right now and treating private pay patients in Canby for as much as he wants to charge them. But, I mean, let's face the facts here, though, Mike. Dr. Day has lost twice in, in two courts now, and I'm actually here to, to present the facts. And for years, two courts have debated the evidence that he presented, and two courts concluded that despite Dr. Dave's claims, his solutions of forcing patients to pay privately for faster access doesn't work anywhere in the world to shorten wait times for everyone. And Private pay only shortens weights for those who can pay, but makes weights longer for everyone else and that debate is is over. that ship has sailed. Okay, he, let me, uh, court, no, he knew that there was the risk that the court wouldn't agree with his proposed solution. So okay. let's let's actually talk about public solutions that work for
0: everyone. Okay, let's go to Dr. Day well, for his response to that. Uh, go ahead. Well, uh, well, it's absolutely
1: wrong. We, do not, um, we are not seeking the ability to build both AMET, the medical plan and, and build privately. We're seeking uh, private health insurance. And, and and the fact is that we are the only country on the planet in which it's illegal to obtain private health insurance. That was uh, evidenced in, in our trial by um, by an expert for the uh, others for the government. And and I will, you know, just to point out the the you know in 1991 I wrote an article called the hypocritical oath. Leaders from Dr. Ho's um, group have been treated privately at our clinic. That's that's how hypocritical this group is. They were in court as interveners in the case. They, they came out with, um, and, you know, some of, the, some of the statements they came out with, oh, in Germany, um, people are waiting twice as long for MRIs in the, um, in the uh, public system as in the private system. That's all they said. And you go into the record of what they quoted, and they, the patients in the public system in Germany were waiting two weeks, and in the private system, one week. Uh, so okay, the, this is the kind of evidence that uh, that they tried to skirt skirt over.
0: Okay, um, Doctor Ho. Doctor Ho has
1: actually yeah. been to our clinic. That's how uh, hypocritical this group is.
0: Doctor Ho, what do you say to that?
3: Well, so uh, again, um, there is nothing stopping Doctor Day from unenrolling from MSP and, and charging patients however much he wants for the services that he provides. Uh, but I mean, we. The courts have shown the evidence that private pay does not actually improve wait times for everyone. It only improves wait times for those who are able to pay but worsens wait times for everyone else. And we see that in in Australia, for example, when they introduced private duplicative insurance, uh, they didn't, with the goal of reducing wait times. They actually saw that the wait times in the public sector didn't improve, and in areas where private healthcare was most used, wait times in the public system went up. And I, I also want to to point out the fact that wait times are are an issue for for all countries. Dr. Day will will bring up examples of countries like Sweden or Denmark or or England or New Zealand, but but no country has solved the waiting problem. All all of these countries have a a private pay system in place, but the private pay hasn't solved, hasn't fixed the wait times issues. What actually works is public solutions, innovative public solutions.
0: Dr. Day, what do you say to that?
1: Well, first of all, the the, the data from Australia is is, is what what he's quoting is that in certain areas of Australia... Um, there is a high incident where the wait lists are longer. They're nowhere near as long as they are in Canada, by the way. There is a higher level of private insurance. And um, that is, the, the, this is a correlation, not a causation. It's like saying that in Vancouver, uh, you're more likely to own an umbrella than you are in Palm Springs. Therefore, umbrellas cause it to rain. That is a silly uh, analogy. But then um, what we know is, as I said, the example this group gave in court was, um, was in, in, in MRIs. And similarly, for some gastric procedures, they said there are long waits in the public system. When you went into the study, they were quoting. And this is why you have to look at the studies, which the courts not, uh, don't do. And, and the wait in the public system for this um, uh, gastric, gastric procedure was just over a month. The wait in Canada, in B.C., was over a year. Um, and and um, this is the kind of we, – we, there was an article, um, quote, where Dr. Bob Willard, who used to be the leader of this group, um, was quoted on the front page of the L.A. Times as saying, he had a patient in severe pain in need of urgent attention, an elderly patient, who will probably be treated within five months from his referral? This is an example of nimble, speedy quality care. That was the leader of this group. That's okay. what I think is nimble, speedy quality care.
0: Doctor Ho, I noted that the judge in the ruling last week, although he went against Doctor Day and Doctor Day lost in court, he the judge the judges did say that there there it is clear from the evidence that people who are stuck on waiting lists can have negative health outcomes as a result of the waiting so like i'm looking at the judgment it says waiting for care for life-threatening conditions increases the risk of death they say that is clear from the wait time da- data do you agree with that uh
3: so that might be the the, the one point that dr day and i might agree on that uh, wait times are an issue uh, i first want to very briefly clarify the point that dr day mentioned several times that those in our group were treated at his at his uh clinic but sure those, uh, those individuals did not pay privately. Those were publicly funded services. So that's an no, important distinction no, no. to make. I that's a very important numbers. distinction to make. And so back to your to point. Right, Brian, oh, let, me, right. let me get, let me get Brian Day's... Day.
0: Okay, Brian Day, respond to that real quick. I have the visa numbers. They paid privately.
1: And so, so how, you, cannot, you cannot contradict a fact. Okay, Uh, and and,
3: and, I I, I have no interest on that by any
1: means.
0: All right, we're debating private health care. Doctor Brian Day, Cambie Surgery Center. Doctor Bernard Ho, Canadian Doctors for Medicare. Let's squeeze in a quick call in the open line. Robin in North Vancouver. Robin, go quickly. Okay, go ahead.
2: Hi, uh, I just wanted to say that I had uh, a sports injury, um, and the wait time to see. A specialist uh, was eight months in the public system, and I found out about uh, Dr. Day's clinic, and I was seen within a week, and it was life changing. I appreciate the fact that uh, that option was available to me. So, how
0: much? How I, much did it? Uh, how much did it cost you?
2: It cost me just over two thousand dollars.
0: You think that was money well spent for your, yourself?
2: Absolutely. I Doc- I am so appreciative. I would have paid any amount of money to to relieve the pain that I was in. And-
0: Doctor, Dr. Ho, what do you say to her?
3: So I, I empathize a lot, and I'm sorry that you had to wait. And I understand how frustrating the wait times are. I, I want to provide a few examples, though, of public solutions that have worked to reduce wait times, even in, in B.C., enrichment in, in well, be, before
0: you do before you do that like when you say well you you sympathize with her, I mean, do you think she should not have the right to spend a two thousand bucks to relieve her own pain
3: right so so what I'm saying is that public solutions are the way to reduce wait times for everyone to allow everyone to have faster access to the care that they need because at the end of the day the bottom line should be that people should be able to access health care based on need and not their
1: ability to pay
0: right Dr. Day, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, it comes down to
1: who owns one's body, the state or, 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 or yourself. And, and, and the, the, point, the point here is that patients are suffering. But as the appeal court has ruled, they're also dying. In our co- court case, we, uh, in one hospital region in B.C., 308 people patients died on their wait list in just one year. And last year, across Canada, over 11,500 patients died on a wait list. And what what this what this uh, law that we're trying to write down says is that they are should be forced to be on that wait list without any possible recourse. And Start. and to say to say that um, to say that you can de enrol and, and treat those patients is nonsense. For for some of the patients with serious illnesses, we're saying they need private insurance. And, uh, you know, we already allow private insurance for prescription drugs and dentistry. Even an ambulance isn't covered in, in, in B.C. I mean, how, how ludicrous is that? But that's Dr. Ho. System. Dr. Ho, go
3: ahead. So yeah, So I, I want to break up a few examples of public solutions that have worked even in B.C., In Richmond Hospital, there was a 75% reduction in wait times from 20 months to five months for hip and knee replacement surgery after a pilot project was introduced. Since 2016, wait times for MRIs in BC have been cut by more than half by increasing the number of MRIs and expanding appointment times. In Toronto, a spine surgeon created an interprofessional team consisting of physicians, physiotherapists, chiropractors, to appropriately triage the referrals he was getting and his, his pilot project resulted in a 30% decrease in MRI use, fewer unnecessarily and costly referrals and, and an average wait time of just 12 days to get into the clinic with 99% patient satisfaction. None of these patients had to pay for the care that they, that they desperately needed. And, and Dr. Day also brings up the point of, of uh, prescription drugs and of dental care. These are, these are parts of the healthcare system that should be included in the public purse. Pharmacare and dental care are absolutely necessary for, for for good healthcare in Canada. Patients shouldn't have to pay for prescription drugs that they need to save their lives. That's, that's not something
1: that should be allowed.
0: Okay, Dr. Day, what do you say to that? Well, uh, two things. Uh, you,
1: you probably end up waiting a year to see a dentist or a pharmacist. But, uh, but the, the point being, these patients uh, uh, tri- after triage... That die three hundred and eight in one region pre-COVID and eleven and a half thousand last year. They've already been triaged. They're waiting for the procedure, and the bottleneck is at the hospital, and they are denied the the charter rights to look after their own health. And you, you know, as as uh, as we've already been through this at the Supreme Court of Canada in Charle's seventeen okay. years ago, and I think it's 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 unacceptable that. Quebecers have been granted rights that are denied to the rest of, of the public. Gentlemen, private insurance is illegal in Quebec. So,
3: Mike, can I, yeah, can, I, I, can, I, I, can I please just address the point that Dr. Tw- Dirty made about Quebec?
0: 20, 20 seconds as we run out of time here. Go ahead, Renard.
3: So, uh, Dr. Dirty brings up this point about Quebec all the time, but it's a false equivalence. Firstly, the courts in Quebec say that patients can buy private insurance for three and only three procedures hip replacements, knee replacements, and cataract surgeries. And 17 true years anymore. later, there is no private insurance for sale in Quebec. Secondly, Quebec said that doctors can't work in both the public and private based system. They have to choose one or the other. And that's not what Dr. Day wants. He doesn't want a system like Quebec. He wants a system like the U.S.
0: Here we go now with one of the eternal debates Should cats be allowed to roam freely outdoors, or should all cats be indoor cats? Now, there are lots of arguments on both sides of this. For outdoor cats, Critics will say, look, this is not good for the cat or for other animals like birds that they stalk and kill. There have been studies that outdoor cats can kill millions of birds across Canada and elsewhere in North America. Uh, People also say it's dangerous for the cat. The cat can get into fights with other cats or even more dangerous situations like raccoons. I remember when I was a kid, we had an outdoor cat, and he was a tomcat. He got into trouble. And then sometimes he would disappear for a couple of days, and then he would come home, and he'd be kind of injured. He'd have scrapes and cuts. I guess he got into some scraps. I remember my dad kind of patching him up, and then he'd head back outside. I'm not sure if we would do that now, looking back on it. The other side of it is, well... Is it fair to the cat, though, to keep the cat cooped up indoors all the time? What about the mental health of the cat? They they want to be outside, don't they? Have a listen to this now. Here's a report from Global News. Now, this is in Toronto, where Toronto City Council is considering a ban on outdoor cats. It would be a cat leash bylaw. You could take your cat outside, but only on a leash. Have a listen to this now.
4: Scott Tinney says letting his cat out of the kennel in Toronto's urban wilderness is a risky move.
0: We love our cat. She's
3: a year and a half old and she has left our apartment very sparingly. Um, We make sure we closely monitor when she is outside. It's okay.
4: Tinney, an animal justice lawyer, is one of many advocates in favor of a bylaw that would prohibit felines from roaming freely on city streets.
3: Working in the animal law sphere, I hear a lot of horror stories about terrible things happening to animals. Ah!
4: Those horror stories include cats being hit by cars, preyed on by coyotes, or even killed by lawn poison. Reports say the city collects upwards of 1,000 dead felines off the roadways annually.
0: Okay, that report from Global News in Toronto. The city there considering a cat leash bylaw. Should Metro Vancouver maybe do the same thing? All right, let's discuss now with my cast, Julie Kelly. Julie is a cat owner and advocate. I'm very pleased to welcome her to the show. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie, it's very nice to have you on here today. Let's talk about the the cat that you, uh, uh, you own. That, that you, I think you told me that you're, you had an outdoor cat at one point that got into some trouble outdoors.
5: Yeah, I've had cats my whole life. So I've had outdoor cats exclusively. And in my life, I've had three cats, outdoor cats that have lived beyond 15 years and three that have lived beyond eight years. So they've all had good, long, healthy lives. Um, so that being said, my last cat, um, was eight and about a year ago, he, um, was, he got out at night and that's always a danger, right? With all the wild animals, we live near a Creek, so we're worried about coyotes, but it turns out that he was attacked by a bird. So we don't know if it was an eagle or an owl, but, um, he was, he was on a an adjacent uh, property in our subdivision where there are a lot of bunnies and he liked to chase bunnies so we think that he was actually chasing a bunny and somewhat distracted when it happened. But mm. it was awful, absolutely awful.
0: What kind of injuries did he have?
5: He he was killed. He was oh, apparently oh dear. he was apparently ripped to pieces and our neighbor a few about 10 doors down found him and uh when my kids were putting up signs, the neighbor came out and said, yeah, I found your cat in our backyard. So it was really, we didn't ever see the, the cat's body, but he said it was not, um, not pleasant. So, yeah. yeah. So it was very, very traumatic, especially for my girls who were the ones who got the news. Um, So then we got subsequently, we got a kitten. And as much as I'm such an advocate for outdoor cats, and I have been, as I say, my whole life, and we've had, you know, our cats have died of old age pretty much, most of them. So, but with our new kitten, I still, I was just feeling really hesitant to put her out there. And that, that cat that um, got killed by the eagle or the owl, um, it had also been hit by a car when it was three. So he, uh, he had a bit of a rough time. He, he recovered from that. But mm. um, anyway, so I was looking into how to keep the cat enclosed and safe, but still give, give her access to the outside. Right. So I looked it up and I found online, there's all kinds of cat fences you can buy for your backyard, or it's almost like an extended catio if you like. Mm-hmm. So we basically after much convincing because nobody else in my family was on board, they thought it was crazy, but we <laughs> conv- I convinced them that we should get this cat fence. And so now our backyard or a portion, a big portion of our backyard is enclosed with a cat fence. And our cat, our kitten, who's now a year, can um, go outside whenever she wants and enjoy the outdoors. And she's safe. She's also safe from chemicals on the lawn. I was just hearing that clip you played. One of our cats died of cancer, mouth cancer. And we think it's from lawn chemicals from neighbors. Not, We don't use any ourselves. But anyway, so she's safe from that. She's safe from owl attacks because we also put up fishing line over the top. So there's just a few random strands of fishing lines so that um, no bird will come in either. And she gets to enjoy outdoor space every single day.
0: Okay. That's very interesting. And you kindly sent me some photos, Julie, of your backyard setup here with the with the cat fence. And I, I know, yeah, I can see why, you know, maybe you're, you took some convincing from your family. There's an expense there. And now you've got this fence over your yard. But you know, for your cat, I mean, has this worked out well? Is your cat happy to go outside behind the fence?
5: I can't even tell you how happy she is. We we have another cat as well um, who has been going in and out. He was the same age as someone we lost. So for that cat to be going in and out all the time and the little kitten to be locked inside was just not working. And... I, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for outdoor living, even, you know, think about during COVID, how the main message to people was get out of your house, get outside, it'll make you feel better, it'll improve your mental health. Well, it's the same for animals, right? They yeah. need like, to see her out there chasing bugs, and just lying in the grass and the sun and running around. It's, she is so happy. Her life is, has expanded exponentially with Do this cat
0: do you think it's kind of cruel to keep a cat cooped up indoors 24 hours a day?
5: I absolutely do. I think, it's, I, I think it's the ultimate in cruelty. Would you want to be cooped up inside all day? I think about how much better you feel when you get outside and go for a walk or you get outside and just get to feel the wind in your hair and the grass under your feet. It's, I think it's atrocious to keep cats indoors. I absolutely, completely object to it.
0: You know, speaking of Julie Kelly, she's a cat owner. We're talking about indoor versus outdoor cats. Now, now that said, Julie, you mentioned the, the sad story of your last cat who was attacked and killed by a, a, an eagle. It sounds like, or maybe an owl. And you mentioned that that cat had also been hit earlier by a car. So I know that cost you a lot in vet bills, right?
5: Yeah. So I, we figured that that cat cost us well. It was well over eight thousand dollars by by the end of his life, and he was wow. worth everything. But, But um, but I mean, so this new cat fence that we bought, I mean, I did a lot of research and I found the one that seems like it has 50 it says it has 50,000 cats that are enjoying the outdoors using this fence. So it's been around a while. So in the States, Um, but it costs $2,000. And I know that's a crazy amount of money, but um, you could do a smaller one, you could do a smaller version than the one that we've done for less money. You know, yeah. we have a combination of a freestanding fence and also a fence topper that goes along the top of our existing fence. Right. Um, and there's a kind of a, a me- it's a mesh um, fence. And then there's a mechanical kind of a spring loaded arm. So if the cat ever got up there, the spring loaded arm would give and then the cat would fall down because the spring loaded arm would collapse. Mm. So okay. it's been ineffective. They've never had a cat escape from it.
0: So, okay. It sounds like this is working out really well for your cat, obviously. Now, now not everyone, of course, would have the same options as yourself. A lot of people might not have a backyard or maybe they might not have the money to install a a catio or, or a fence. What do you think about the idea of a of a leash bylaw? This is something that's being considered in Toronto. You would not be allowed to let your cat go outside unless the cat is on a leash, and some people want to see Vancouver do the same thing. What do you think of that idea?
5: Yeah, I think people should be able to do what they want with their pets. Again, I think it's prison if you keep your cat indoors. Um, catios are a great option if you can't do the big cat fence, you know, and giving your cat at least, you know, maybe you could even on a lot of people were talking on your um, radio show last a couple of days ago last week, um, that, you know, they have a balcony where they let their cat um, spend some time, but, you know, giving them that outdoor time, it's just fundamentally important. I mean, if I were to do that, I, we considered that because it would have been a lot cheaper, but Just playing in the grass and having air, you know? Yeah. yeah. Not being in in a stale, stagnant environment. You know, inside nothing moves. Outside, everything moves. So she's constantly stimulated with all the movement around her. She's a kitten. She wants to play, right? So yeah, even if you can do a catio, um, and they can you can do them quite inexpensively. And I if I were to do that, I'd put a I'd buy a um sandbox and put grass in it so they can lay in the grass as well because Mm. And you have some bugs and all kinds of fun stuff. Julie,
0: I'm glad your cat is thriving and doing well with your outdoor cat fence. Thank you for coming on to share your story today.
5: Thank you. I thought it was ironic when you asked me to come on because I've called so many times about so many really important issues. and And then I thought it was funny that this was the time I got a call. But Great to talk to you, Mike.
0: All right. Talking about indoor versus outdoor cats, Toronto considering a cat leash bylaw. Should Vancouver do the same thing? Lots of calls on the open line. Ross in Vancouver. Hi, Ross. What do you think?
2: Oh, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's, sure. it's actually kind of laughable. Um, it reminds me of an old Irish Rover song and cats and rats and elephants. Um, have you ever tried to put a cat on a leash and, <laughs> no. and see, no. how, see how it works? Uh, you know, and they're going after cats. Uh, I kind of wonder, shouldn't they be going after rats? Because uh, there's a big, big problem in both cities. I'm sure. I know Vancouver's inundated with them. Yeah. So now you, now you take the cats away and put them on a leash. It's yeah, to me. No. Yeah. it's pretty it's it's kind of transparent mike and it's just another way to generate more revenue by well you have to license that cat and you have to buy a licensed leash and you have to buy a regulation collar and it's just uh a little more for nothing is what it is so speaking, I think it
0: speaking of rats do you think that outdoor cats sort of keep down the rodentia problem
2: well there's no doubt i mean yeah. that's that's what they do uh right. to to take them away you're you're just accelerating the rat population i mean uh, what the percentage of cat takes out is is hard to tell i suppose but that's what they do i mean i know i had a cat used to bring home every rat he ever killed show yeah. me say look what i did you yeah know, sure bring
0: it home is it, yeah here's a nice gift for for ross hey, ross it's thank it's you very much a- thanks for calling in. appreciate it ross let's go to ingrid on the line in Kelowna. hi ingrid what do you think
2: I am uh, totally for it being um, on a leash. I don't think it's funny. Um, I don't think it's a money scam. Um, I think it's the same as as dogs. Why can't dogs be free if we can control them? Cats are pets and so are dogs. Um, We pay, uh, you know, tags and everything, and I think cats should do that too. Cats I found, you know, wrecking my flowers and, and die a lot on the roads. I think in the long run it will save um,
6: vet bills, and um, you'll get more friendly neighbors as well. I think
2: they're just as equal as dogs.
0: Thank you, Ingrid, for the call. Lots of calls on this one. Kent in Nanaimo. Hi, Kent. What do you think? I think it's ridiculous. You know, just lock up a
3: kitten, but allow these lunatics to run around the streets and attack people with machetes. Like, get your priority straight. Like,
0: it's ridiculous. Okay, you say let the cats go free, let them, let them roam yeah, yeah. free. You All right. okay, And lock Ken. up the lunatics. <laughs> Thanks. Lock up the lunatics. Let the cats go out. Okay. Thanks, Kent. Frank and Coquitlam. Hi, Frank. Go ahead.
2: Last caller. That, that made me laugh.
0: But it's true.
6: Yeah. Uh, no, you know what? It just pees me off with cats. Cruising the strip. but You know, we've had to put chicken wire all through our gardens, our tomato gardens, because they pee and they poop. You try to pick a weed and you pick more than you bargain for. Um, we have a stray cat coming to our house all the time because I have a cat. It's an indoor cat. But when I'm out in my back because I got property, When we're out back, the wife and I, I let the cat out, but only under my supervision. We put a bell on it so we could find the damn thing when it's time to bring him in. If he screws up and bails over the fence, I grab him, toss his butt in the house. He learns real quick, stay in the yard.
0: Thank you, Frank, for the call. Squeeze in one more. Jim in Vancouver. Jim, you got 30 seconds here, okay? Go ahead. Hey,
6: Mike, just really quickly, um... I'm, I had outdoor cats, moved to a third-floor apartment building. All I did was set up something on my balcony with lots of plants, a big plant holder that would be for putting on a railing, and I, and I grew a cat grass in it, and they both adjusted really
2: well. Loved lying out there on the grass, Love the outdoors, I could leave the balcony door open all summer long. So I was quite surprised because I, I had been in a, you know, an outdoor cat
6: lover kind of thing, but they adjusted really well, and they lived long, happy lives, probably,
2: or at least maybe in part because of that, right? So there you Thank go. You.
0: All right. Let's talk about vaping now. Vaping is becoming very popular. Vaping is less dangerous than smoking cigarettes, right? But there are health risks with vaping too. I don't know. I find this a tough issue. My Both my parents uh, died many years ago, both from smoking. They were both heavy smokers. My mom died from a brutal stroke. My dad died from uh, lung cancer. And I often think if I could go in a time machine, maybe I could go back in time with some vapes and get my mom and dad smoking, uh, you know, puffing on a vape instead of cigarettes. Maybe they'd, maybe they would have lived a lot longer. But I don't know, man. You know, you see kids vaping a lot now. I live near a high school. When I'm out walking my dog, I'll see kids in groups, just huge clouds of vapor over their heads there. All the kids vaping. Vaping is, uh, is dangerous, too. Now have, check this out. In the United States, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, recently banned Juul e-cigarettes, you heard of those? I mean, this is one of the leading e cigarettes in the world, really. The Jewel brand actually banned them in the US. Have a listen to this report from Tampa 10 News.
5: These are not toys, these are very serious
4: devices that are using chemicals. As substitutes for tobacco in many cases. Jay Wolfson is the associate dean for the University of South Florida's College of Medicine. He says jewels can be very dangerous for anyone who's using them, especially kids.
5: It's been well documented that young people, in particular, who are drawn. the technology oftentimes find themselves getting sick and just a few years ago we
4: had a number of deaths. The FDA says they found evidence the company is targeting kids, saying Juul products have played a role in the amount of young people who are vaping. In a statement provided to me by a Juul Labs spokesman, they say, quote, we respectfully disagree with the FDA's findings and decision. They're targeting kids and adolescents. The chief regulatory officer for Juul Labs, Joe Murillo, says, quote, We believe that we appropriately characterize the toxicological profile of Juul products, including comparisons to combustible cigarettes and other vapor products claiming they have successfully helped people transition away from cigarettes.
0: Okay, that last part, I have heard this from people who are vaping now. They say they were able to kick tobacco and stop smoking cigarettes and transition to vaping instead. And they said their health has improved. But I think that's a really major move there south of the border with the FDA banning those jewel products should they do the same thing in canada let's discuss it now with my guest jack boomer from the clean air coalition of bc and i'm very pleased to welcome him back hi jack thanks for coming on thanks mike hey jack what is the legal status of those jewel e-cigarettes in canada they're still legal here right They're still legal
6: in Canada, and in uh, 2020, Juul voluntarily stopped uh, selling flavorings in Canada. But we know that flavorings are a huge issue, and that's what attracts youth and young adults to uh, vaping, and they're more likely to use some of the flavorings. I mean, some people that don't vape might not be aware that you can get flavorings like ice cream flavor or cookie dough or candy, and so... um, there, it's it's a real problem um, with the the different flavorings, and you can get pina colada and birthday cake and all that kind of stuff. So, haven't, haven't
0: they? Didn't they bring in some rules to restrict the flavorings?
6: Well, in fact, in uh, last year, June of tw- of last year, Canada, the federal government announced plans to restrict some of the flavorings, like those that I just mentioned. But those regulations haven't come into force. A couple of provinces uh, have actually banned flavorings, the sale of flavorings in their jurisdiction. And in British Columbia, uh, we haven't bl- banned the flavorings, but we have restricted where y- you can actually get access to them. So yeah. um, uh, there are places, stores that sell flavored uh, vape products, and, but they restrict uh, who can access them.
0: We, obviously, there's a lot of young people who are, are using these e-cigarettes and vapes right now, and the flavorings, I think, are certainly attractive to younger people. You also heard in that report we just played, one of the experts saying that young people are attracted to the the technology. You know, like these a lot of these e-cigarettes, they're kind of snazzy, high-tech-looking things, right? Do you think that's attractive to young people, too?
6: Well, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's trendy. It's, it looks kind of cool. It's kind of funky, and in fact, you. Um, there's various generations. I'm not sure what generation we're on in terms of the product, but initially, when they were designed about 20 years ago by a gentleman in uh, uh, China, it was to assist his, uh, I think, his father to quit smoking. And uh, then what happened is, at one point, the e-cigarettes actually looked like an actual cigarette, and now they are, you know, quite high tech. They look like something from outer space or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the attractives attractions of for young people, there have been surveys done in British Columbia about young people and when they start vaping. What does some of that research say?
6: Well, some of the research that was done in Canada a couple of years ago shows that the average age that uh, people start, uh, young people start vaping, is around 16 years old. So, which is consistent when with when people used to start smoking cigarettes, which was 80 to 90% of people started before the age of 18. And so that's why one of the, the big issues is, uh, you know, if we can uh, delay people from starting to vape or smoke, the longer that we can delay them from actually starting it, the less likely that they will either vape or less likely that they will start smoking. And, you know, one of the, one of the challenges with vaping is that many uh, youth, Uh, People who youth who vape never have started smoking tobacco, right? They they didn't start smoking cigarettes; they start vaping, and so that's one of the concerns is that um, does vaping and getting that hit of nicotine um, move people along their journey to become smokers uh, and addicted to nicotine products?
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing with vaping. Like I've heard the argument, and I know you have too, Jack. That It's a great sort of transition product to get people off of cigarettes. Like if you're addicted to tobacco and smoking cigarettes, if you can kick tobacco by switching to vaping instead, I mean, you're better off, aren't you? I mean, okay, we know that vapes are dangerous, too, but they're less dangerous than cigarettes, right?
6: They are, and I think that's one, of the, that's one of the big conundrums that we face in the public health community, which is this whole issue of harm reduction. So we never used to have this discussion before, but there was this discussion of harm reduction around people using snuff and chewing tobacco. Uh, my dad actually went from smoking uh, cigarettes and at one point was up to probably at least two packs a day, and he switched to uh, chewing tobacco. And, uh, you know, he's getting his hit of nicotine, but in a different way, which, again, is not polluting those around him. But, again, it's still doing damage to his body. And so, um, vaping is one of those things that people say, well, it is less harmful, um, and it is probably less harmful for sure. But the bottom line is that um, if it is assisting people to quit smoking, and move them towards quit, that's great. But that's one of the challenges with Juul and the FDA that they found, was Juul had to demonstrate to the FDA that it was a public health benefit to have Juul products out of with a system and that the public health benefit outweighed the harm. And right. that the judge determined that there was uh, – that. Jewel did not adequately demonstrate that to the FDA or the judge and you think that if they were able to demonstrate that their products would be everywhere and so they had to be pull them off the market because of that so it does lead one to believe and know that um, you know e-cigarettes are not the panacea that we thought they might be but it does prove a public health conundrum because there are people who have used them to assist with their quit journey.
0: Yeah, for sure. But for people, for kids who have never smoked before and now they're starting on vapes, I mean, that's ob- obviously not a, not a good thing. I'm speaking to Jack Boomer, Clean Air Coalition of BC. Boy, that was a big ruling south of the border to ban the Juul e-cigarette products down there in the United States. Do you think they should do the same thing and ban Juuls here too?
6: Uh,
0: well, I,
6: you know, I, I think this is where, you know, when it comes to the flavorings, um, you know, the jewel voluntarily withdrew the flavorings. Of course, yeah. you know I I don't want to be a complete prohibi- prohibitionist because we know that prohibition often doesn't work and in fact provides other incentives for people to engage in in this type of behavior. I think. One of the big things that we have to look at is what are the things that can be done to make it harder for youth to gain access to these products. And one of the ways um, is to, again, some of the, the things that other jurisdictions are doing, banning flavor some of the flavorings, uh, ban, enforcing the laws to make sure that uh, the youth are not gaining access to the products in various ways, And uh, looking at things like the minimum age, you know, a number of states have moved the minimum age that you can buy tobacco and vaping products to 21. Prince Edward Island has done that. Um, And so that's one of the things. uh, I think there's 30 states that have moved the age that you can purchase these products to 21. So that's something that I think the federal government could consider, because as you move the age up, it's less likely that somebody who's younger has friends that are over 21 that would then buy them the products. And that's where, you know, so it's called social sourcing, where youth get their cigarettes and their uh, vaping products from friends who are older who can legally buy them and then furnish them uh, to them. But, uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of things that British Columbia... Uh, can and could do. You know, the health minister, Adrian Dix, has done, uh, uh, shown some leadership. Um, in 2019, we had some of the best vaping rules and regulations around, and I think that there are some things that could be done to improve those. Other provinces have leapfrogged ahead. Um, the other thing that's happened is that BC has not amended its legislation in about 20 years. It's tobacco and vaping legislation. So there's a need to modernize the legislation with all the new things that have happened over the, the last 20 years. For example, mm-hmm. we still sell tobacco and products in pharmacies. We're the only jurisdiction in Canada that still allows that to happen. And it's just crazy, a place where you should be able to go to get uh, healthy products, and they're still selling a product that will kill 50% of its users when used as intended.
0: Okay, Jack, please stand by here as we fit in a quick break. We'll come back with more. My guest is Jack Boomer. We're talking about what's next for the vaping industry, Mm. Juul e-cigarettes and vapes banned south of the border. Do you think those Juul products should be banned here too? You heard Jack there make the case, well, maybe there should be an age limit of 21 to buy vapes. What's the age limit right now, Jack, to buy vapes? Uh, 19. All right, welcome back as we continue talking about youth vaping in the United States. Juul e-cigarettes just been banned by the FDA. My guest is Jack Boomer, Clean Air Coalition. Let's go to your phone calls here. Attila in Richmond. Hi. Hi, Mike. How
2: are
0: you? I'm good. What do you think?
2: Uh, I'm
1: 50 years old. I was smoking since I was 13. And 2019, I kicked the cigarette for a vape, actually. Yeah. I, t- I tried patches, I tried Champacs, uh, tried everything, couldn't quit smoking. But uh, switching to vape, it's actually happened.
0: And how is that, if, is that? Has your health improved as a result, would you say?
1: Uh, I am breathing better, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm not saying vape is, uh, is,
0: is healthier, but it helped me. I'm feeling better overall. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for calling in. Jack, what do you think of that? Well, I, I
6: think that uh, congratulations to Attila for switching to something that works for him on on his quit journey, and I hope that as he continues to uh, improve his health with uh, the vaping, that he might find a way to maybe uh, wean himself off of, of vaping. I think it's a it's a good step. And that's the kind of thing, uh, he, uh, Attila is a perfect example of what I think, when we talk about harm reduction, switching from uh, uh, combustible cigarettes to e-cigarettes. And I think that wow. moving on that journey is great. So, uh, um Yeah.
0: Yeah. So is that why you would say you know we shouldn't ban vaping completely? Then correct?
6: Well, no. I, and I think that yeah. this is the this is the conundrum that we're facing. Is that for someone like Attila who's been smoking for thirty or forty years? Right. Or, you know this this is a good step in the direction of improving his health but for somebody who's never started uh using any type of uh, product and inhaling things into their lungs those are the kind of people the, the folk that we're we're hoping that we can encourage not to try it or um maybe you know not even start so that uh they will have good health because most right. people who start smoking uh 80 to 90 percent want to quit smoking and uh so we know that we need to do what we can to make it harder for people to start and easier for people like to quit.
0: Back to the phone lines, David in New West. Hi, David, go ahead. Hello there. Um, Hi. So from my own experience,
3: it was, uh, I had started smoking uh, back in high school. And uh, when I'd gone back, it was over summer, when I'd gone back to school, everyone had vapes and it was mostly salt mic, um which is a different type of nicotine uh, juice um, and I'd say the flavors weren't what was drawing everyone in. It was mostly the, the head rush because the salt nick allows it to be a higher quantity of nicotine. Oh, um, yeah. and so the flavors were what was keeping people going maybe. Um, but the, it was the nicotine content specifically that was really drawing people in because the, the comparison between that salt nick and a cigarette yeah. almost incapacitating the head rush you would get.
0: Thanks for calling in, David. Uh, Do you have any concerns there about the nicotine content, Jack, in vapes? 30 seconds here.
6: Well, the the short version is that there is now a maximum of 20 um, milligrams of nicotine per milliliter of fluid. And I think the idea behind that is for the very reason that David is talking about, that there should be some restrictions. There are some people that would have such high concentrations of nicotine in the um, e-juice that it would do exactly what he's talking about. So... um, uh, that's why they uh, restricted the uh, amount of content.
0: In- Important issue. We continue to follow it. Jack, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. 911? 911, what's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship! Ah, there was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out!
4: There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you there?